So tonight we're going to continue. Um, Adam uh, finished us off in Ezekiel 7. So tonight we're going to continue in Ezekiel 8. Um, I'm going to try not to sit today, so we'll see if I can get through it. Uh, thank the Lord it's healing well. I can walk mostly. Yeah, yeah. What a blessing, right? Amen. Praise report. Uh, I, I'm a walker. Like when I'm when I'm walking, like my brain is active. So if I'm sitting, it's hard for me to think. But like I was saying, we're going to be in Ezekiel eight, and this is um, we're going to see another vision from Ezekiel, and this vision actually will go all the way until um, Ezekiel, the end of Ezekiel eleven. So this is going to be a very long vision. This will be the very first part of it that we're going to cover tonight. Um, but before we get into it, I think it's important to, to remember what God called um, the people to. Remember, this is the Hebrew people, right? His chosen people? Yes? Yes. yes. Okay. I like the feedback. Yeah. <laughs> Let's me know you're alive out there. Um, yeah. So what did he call them to? Remember, they were his chosen people, so there was something special about them that, and something special that he intended for them. And before we get into it, I think it's important to remember this, and it's, it's also important for us as we apply this to our lives. But if you remember when Christ was here, one of the lawyers asked him, right? They said, what's the greatest commandment? You guys remember that? Yeah. And then in Matthew 22, um, 37... He said, Jesus told him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and prophets, right? Those are two of the tough commandments right there, right? But the first is truly the most important, right? We should love the Lord, our God, with all of our, our heart, soul, and mind. And that's where we've kind of seen, not kind of, we've seen Israel go drastically wrong. And that's where we're going to actually talk about tonight, is their idolatry. And they're gonna, we're going to be even so deep into the idolatry that it's going to be in the temple, and that's really what the whole chapter tonight will be discussing, is their idolatry in the temple. There's going to be four points, but before we get into it, let's, um, let's actually open. Let's commit this time to the Lord. Gracious Father, Lord, I thank you for the chance just to come up and communicate your word, Lord. I pray that the words that are spoken here are truly yours, Lord. I pray that uh, I would just be a vessel and it wouldn't uh, be what I prepared. But, Lord, I pray that you would just speak through me, Lord. Um, you calm my nerves for being up here. But, Lord, let me just uh, uh, speak the truths that it, uh, you showed Ezekiel to show the Hebrews. Lord, I pray that there would be uh, something important for each and every person here to uh, just take home as a nugget to apply to their lives, Lord, something that they can uh, uh, plant their faith on, Lord, that would be able to change um, their, their understanding of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, let's jump into it. Actually, before we do, I'm sorry. Uh, so like I said, this is, this is going to be a vision and it's going to go on for four chapters. I don't know how many of you guys, I know we all have different spiritual gifts. Anybody ever had like um, 
dreams from the Lord? Yeah, okay. There's, I'm sure there's from time to time or once in your life, um, I get dreams and um, it, it's hard to explain. You know, they're so vivid sometimes and there's just little portions that are so detailed, but then the vastness of the dream doesn't really make any sense and it's hard to explain, right? And we kind of see that in and out with these visions as we go over the next four uh, weeks because it's going to be that the same vision throughout. So just kind of want to pave that way. This is going to be a, basically the, the whole time is going to be a vision from the Lord to Ezekiel for the purpose of what? Communicating to the people, right? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need to just keep it for himself, right? He's a prophet. So a prophet needs to prophesy. Absolutely. All right, let's start in um, uh, chapter eight, verse one. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. And we'll stop. So we see, just like we've seen in, in, uh, previously, he gives us that, that detailed timeline right? Ezekiel's been really good about giving us that detailed timeline of when things are happening, right? So we see on the sixth year, so the sixth year of their um, being in Babylon, right? The sixth month on the fifth day. So this is about one year and two months from Ezekiel 1, just to kind of give you guys an idea. We're not moving that fast, even though we're in chapter 8. Um, we're, we're about one month, or one year and two months in and then we see him sitting with the elders, the elders of Judah, right? And he makes it sound like it's just kind of like nonchalant. I have all the elders of Judah at my house and they're sitting before me at the table, right? So it makes you think that this is something that happens. And it, actually, as we read further in uh, chapter 14, 20, 31 or 33, I can't remember, this happens again. So this probably is something that happens on a regular basis, right? They know now that he's a prophet, right? So they want to see, has the Lord told you anything? Is there anything that you have for us? Is there anything that the Lord told you to share with us? Or maybe it's just, you know, at the end of Sabbath, let's all go meet at Ezekiel's house and see what the Lord has. But we see they're all there and the Lord meets him there. And he places the, the, and he feels the hand of the Lord come upon him, right? And he uses the same language. We've already seen it in Ezekiel. So we see that he's going to go into a vision. We already know because we've experienced this a few times, right? Let's see uh, what happens in verse two. Then I looked and there was a likeness like the appearance of fire from the appearance of his waist downward fire and from his waist upward, like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. So we'll, we'll stop there for a second. We've also heard this before. Do you guys remember? No, let's take a peek back. Okay, Ezekiel 1. Let's go a couple of pages over to the left. Uh, 126. And it says, And from above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of the throne, the appearance like, the, like sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was the likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist upward, I saw as it were the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist downward, I saw the appearance of fire with 
brightness all around. So we see here, just like we were, I was saying in the intro with, the, with visions, it, you don't get all the details, right? It seems like he sees what could be a man or could be a presence, right? He just, he doesn't really define anything except a waste. He sees half of something up is the, the color of bright amber, right? And then from the waist down or halfway down is, is the radiating fire, right? It, it's unique. It, it's an interesting vision, but he gets to see it twice now. But I think the most descriptive part is verse 28 in Ezekiel 1. And it says, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of all the brightness around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So it's the glory of the Lord that he's seeing again. And I think as running springsers, we get to understand this a little bit more. Because how often do we see fog? We see it all the time, right? We see fog a lot. And think of those times when it's like super thick fog. So thick that it's, you, you know the sun is there because it's light out, right? But you can't even make out the circle. Sometimes you, can, you know the sun's in one direction because of the heat, but it's so thick that everything is just white and bright around you. You can't tell the point of origin. And that's kind of what I envision when I hear about his vision. He just knows that there's this radiating light. He knows there's a source, but he can't really tell much about it, and he doesn't give us much information about it. Does that make sense? It helped create the picture there for you. Let's continue on and see about his vision in verse 3. Uh, Ezekiel 8, verse 3. Then he stretched out the form of a hand. And again, we don't, he doesn't really give a lot of description. It's a form of a hand. He doesn't say like an arm connected to a shoulder. He just, for some purpose, he's saying it's just like a form of a hand. So it doesn't give a lot of depth behind it. So he might not even know. He just knows there's a hand that's reaching out towards him, right? And it took me by the lock of my hair. If you remember just two chapters ago, he had no hair, right? We shaved it all off and he divided it all up. So there's a couple of months where he grew some hair again. <clears throat> and then the spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court, where the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the Lord of Israel, I'm sorry, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain. So if you remember, two weeks ago, Gio was talking about the, the vision in the plain and the vision in the mountains. So he's, Ezekiel is referring to that same presence, the glory of the Lord, that he, he knew he was present and he knew he was with him. We see that, uh, that, that same uh, presence there with him in the plain and in the mountain. But I think it's important to know, uh, and we've discussed this because we went through Exodus, right? Yeah, we went through Exodus, right? So we know uh, the tabernacle and the temple. So when, when the orientation of the temple was from the east. So when you enter, because this is going to matter for the rest of the, the chapter, but when you enter from the east, you're entering from the front of the temple. You're entering into the courtyard. And then as you go further west, you get deeper and deeper into the temple to the Holy of Holies, right? And then to your right, if you're standing in east, of course, is... North, yeah, and left is your south. So we see him here. He knows 
um, in the vision that he's um, there with the God of Israel, right? And he's in Jerusalem. And he knows even more. He knows that he's at the north gate, right? In the inner court. So inside the gate, uh, at the north gate of the, the, uh, the temple. But what is the interesting there, thing there is the, the seat of the image of jealousy. That's unique, right? It, a seat or anything about jealousy really shouldn't be there, right? Yes, yeah. Because this is, this is uh, God's temple, so there shouldn't be anything that should make God jealous because he's t- it's talking about God being jealous. As it says there, provokes to jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. So he's saying that something is there. And we'll get into that detail in just a little bit. But there is, um, we, we actually we don't know what's, what's right to the right of the, um, when you come in right to the right of the gate, we don't exactly know what it is, but there is some idol that's inside the court, uh, the courtyard. Um, we read about it in Second Kings, starting in Second Kings 18 to like 23. Um, Hezekiah, who was a righteous king, right? He removed all the idols for Israel, for Judah. He cleared and cleansed Judah from all the idols. And then he had a son, Manassas, who was the opposite, right? He was a wicked king. And he brought everything back, and he even brought everything back worse, so he brought it into the, into the actual temple and for all the Israelites. And then we see it, it leaves again. And sometime between 20, um, Kings 23 and now present, obviously um, Ezekiel is seeing that, that idol is present, that, that, that thing that provokes jealousy. And I think it's important to understand jealousy. Jealousy isn't like how me and you perceive jealousy, right? If I'm jealous of somebody, jealous of Geo, means I want something that he has, right? I covet or lust for something that he has, or my mom or any of you, right? I'm wanting something that doesn't belong to me, that belongs to you. But the difference with a jealousy of God is it never belonged to anyone else but God, interesting thought, right? I think we get lost in the term jealousy, um, but it, it really truly always belonged to him in the first place. The worship, the praise, the honor, the glory was always his. It wasn't ours to withhold, right? But for us, our jealousy is coveting what is not ours. Um, <clears throat> one thing I, I think that's also, in, when, you, when you think of it, here and where the, the Israelites are, they had the Pentateuch, right? They had the, the first five books of the uh, Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 20, it says, take careful heed to yourselves. For you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at, uh, over, I don't know, um, on the, out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is uh, in the water beneath the earth. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven 
when you see the sun, moon, and stars, all the hosts of the heavens, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God had given to you and the people under the whole heaven as a heritage. And this is something that they knew. This is something that all of them knew, that they weren't to worship the creation, right? They were to worship the creator. So there's no part of the creation. It says any, any image, no partial image, any image that's like a creation shouldn't be worshiped, right? God gave them, to, gave them this as a heritage, that this wasn't to be worshiped. They were supposed to use it as a tool, a heritage to, to glorify God in that he was the creator, right? So... As we continue on in verse 5, we'll see uh, what happens there at the north gate. And it's the, there's four, I was saying before, right before the prayer, there's four things that I, I think the Lord is showing um, Ezekiel here to, to tell the people. And this is the first of the four things. In verse 5, he said to me, son of man, lift, lift your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes toward the north, and there, the north of the altar gate was the image of jealousy in the entrance. So we see this image of jealousy. So again, like I said, we enter from the east to the right would be the the north gate. I think is what the Lord is trying to share here and show Ezekiel isn't really about the image being there that's the important thing. It's the important thing that it's at the north gate. Do you guys remember what's past the north gate? What? No, that's, that's as you go through the courtyard, the palace. So the north gate was considered the royal entrance, right? It's where the king would enter or the royal family would enter to worship the Lord. So if the king or the royal family is entering through the north gate and they're passing by the what? What did it say? The image of jealousy. Should the king make a statement? Should the king say anything about an idol being in God's courtyard? Yeah, absolutely, right? So he's making the, the statement to Ezekiel that the king knows, and the king is involved in this idolatry worship of this idol. So we don't know exactly what the idol is. It's thought that it's an idol of one of Ashdod, either Ashdod or, or one of them. So it's a fertility god. And usually Ashdod was like on a big wooden stake, but tall, like 20 foot. And either there was an image placed on that. Because it's a fertility god, it's usually a phallic fertility image. I'll leave that to your, your imagination. <laughs> um, I, I get what you're chuckling about, but that's in the courtyard of God, right? I, I can't imagine the abomination that God is feeling about those who are supposed to be his, his people, his chosen, and most importantly, that's the north gate, that's the king's gate. So he's letting Ezekiel know that the king is aware. And I didn't say it in the beginning, but I, the, all of, of chapter eight is God showing Ezekiel the sin and how deep the sin is of the nation. And he was being gracious in doing so. He didn't have to do that. He could judge them from the, from the start. 
But in his grace, I think he's maybe meeting Ezekiel, maybe meeting the leadership of Judah, where they are, and they might need to hear this. I'm not sure we can't judge into that or or speculate, but he didn't need to. God knew already. So we see that in verse 5. That's the first thing. The king was aware. So the king was associated with idolatry. Let's continue on in verse 6. Furthermore, he said to me, son of man, do you see what they do? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary. He desires to go far away from his sanctuary because of the abominations taking place in his courtyard, right? Now turn again and you will see a greater abomination. So he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. And he said to me, son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, go in, see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and there was every sort of creeping thing, abominable beast and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. All that stood, all, or I'm sorry, and there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. In their midst stood Jezaniah, Jezaniah and the son, and the, I'm sorry, Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand and a thick cloud of incense went up. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols, for they say, the Lord does not see us and the Lord has forsaken the land. We'll stop there. So again, it's the, the vision. There's just so much there, right? So much is happening. Um, God's telling Ezekiel that there's even greater abominations and he takes Ezekiel to another area and he takes him closer to the wall that's going into the, the tabernacle and he sees a little hole, right? And Ezekiel can kind of see in there. He tells him to dig, right? So Ezekiel digs into the wall and we see there's a door that represents going into the, the tabernacle or the temple. So God tells him to go in. And when he enters, what does he see? What's that? Idols, right? All different types of idols. And it's on the tapestries all the way around on the inside of the temple. What's supposed to be on those tapestries? Do you guys remember? Seraphim. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what's supposed to be there. They're supposed to be worshiping the Lord right? That's the holy place. That's where the priests are going to go into the holy of holies from there. That's supposed to be seraphim on the walls. But instead, there's idols all the way around, and there's probably idols on the, on the floor. But those idols, again, are the Babylonian type of idols. There's a lot of fertility, so there could be pornographic phallic images all over the inside of the temple. That's, that's something to think about, right? That's what the Lord is showing um, Ezekiel. And more importantly, who do we see there? 70 elders. How many elders is there always for Israel that we see kind of like throughout the whole? 70, right? From the time when um, Moses, his father-in-law says, hey, this is way too much. You need help, right? He gets 70 elders. And then from that time, they keep the 70 elders. So we see those 70 elders doing what? 
worshiping, right? They're, they're there with the incense and burning the incense, big, deep clouds of incense. Supposed to be, there is supposed to be incense in there. Do you remember? It's supposed to be that sweet smelling aroma to God. It's never supposed to stop along with the, the lamp, right? The lampstand is always, always supposed to be burning. The oil is always supposed to be there. The incense is always supposed to be burning, but it's to God, right? It's not to the, the false, false gods. And I think there's um, something even deeper here. Um, I think it makes more sense, and I'm going to read it to you guys in the King James Version because uh, that's kind of how it came to me, and I want to see what you guys think. So, um, verse 12, that last verse we read, I'm going to read it again, but in the King James. Then he said to me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, the Lord see us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. So as what caught my attention is every man in the chambers of his imagery. Where do you, what does that bring about in your mind? Where's the chambers of your imagery? Your mind, right? And when you apply it to what's happening with Ezekiel here, it's kind of amazing, right? To think about, he wasn't just trying to show their sin. He was trying to show God their heart, right? So he was bringing, in the, uh, bringing Ezekiel into the chambers of the 70 elders' true heart, right? He was showing them what their true desire was. He was showing them that their, their desire was for the, those images, like it said, Every sort of creeping thing, abominable beast, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around the walls. And the 70 men stood before them. And they thought it was secret, right? It wasn't something that, that anybody would know. But God knows our heart, right? What does God say about our heart? It's deceitfully wicked, right? But like I read just before we started reading, what is the here, let me take it back up there. Um, it says, with our hearts, that we should love the Lord with our heart, with our soul, and with our mind. And again, I think that's where the imagery that the, the King James Version was talking about, and giving us that example and that idea of the imagery, because that imagery was really idolatry, right? So, the new, new King James is correct in the translation. It was a, in the secret of their idolatry, but it was, I think the uh, King James version was showing that it's in their minds. It's their makeup. It's their soul. It's who they want to be. They want to be of the flesh. They don't want to be of Christ. It's horrible, right? Those are supposed to be the elders. Those are supposed to be the ones who are the judges for the people to tell them what's right and wrong and to rule amongst them right? It just shows how far they've come as a nation. So that's the second thing. So first, it's the king. And second, it's those 70 elders that we see. And I think uh, when I was reading, and I also um, thought of in Luke 12, 2 through 3, it says, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the darkness will be heard in the light. And when you have spoken in the ear of the inner rooms, 
will, or what you have spoken in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And that's what we're seeing, right? Because Ezekiel is, God gave this vision to Ezekiel of what's actually happening in the moment. This isn't like a historical event. He's taking Ezekiel to the current Jerusalem, right? So he gets to go back and share with the elders of what not to be like. Because remember, that 10,000 is supposed to be the remnant. There'll be some more that'll come with them, right? As that last, last wave in Israel is taken, uh, or Jerusalem's taken, right? So they're going to be the remnant. So they, they're supposed to be the righteous. So hopefully this will be good training for those elders, right? I think it's also interesting as elders, you know, they, they think they're maybe a little bit above, right? And Romans talks about this so well. Romans 1, 22 through 23, professing to be wise, right? That's who they were, professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God. I'm sorry. And changed the glory of the incorruptible, incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. That's what they did. But that's really what we do in, in all reality, right? We, we don't hold God the way we should. I don't know about you. I guess I should speak for myself. I don't. Do I have that true reverence that I should have for the Lord? Do I apply him in, my, in every aspect of my life like I should? Or do I keep a certain little area? Just like what we saw in Ezekiel's um, vision. Is there a little part of me, a little part of my soul, heart, and mind that I keep separate, that I have walls that I have walls up, right? That I don't want any Ezekiels to come in and see, right? To break down. Luke eight seventeen says, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. And I think that's an important verse to live by. I, I don't think any of us would want to live the life as we desire to in our flesh and then let, have everybody know our sin, right? We'd like to hide our sin and pretend like we're something that we're not. But guess what? We're all sinners. Nobody here is going to be shocked that any other one of us is a sinner. I guarantee it. It's not going to shock anybody. Everybody has sinned today, probably in the last hour or so. So... It's not going to be a surprise. I don't know. I mean, I speak for myself, but it's just something we don't really want to speak of. But I think it's truly important. I think if we take nothing more from what we see here is that we should be more open about it so that we can be held accountable so we can live a life of purity. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, but let's continue on. Verse 13 and see the rest of the vision here. And he said to me, Again, I'm sorry, turn again and you will see a greater abomination than they are doing. <laughs> Even greater, huh? Uh, so he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tamaz. So that doesn't sound too bad, right? No? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so Tamaz, I mean, it doesn't really sound because we don't really interact in Tamaz. We don't really know what that is, right? But that's another God, right? So the women are inside the court. For one, they're inside the temple, which they're not supposed to be, or inside the courtyard, and they're weeping for Tamaz. And Tamaz is another god from Babylonian time. He first was a sun god, then he became a, uh, the, the god of spring. And um, his wife is Ishtar. You guys have probably heard Ishtar's is a little bit more noteworthy, at least for us in our culture, I guess. Um, but so Tamaz dies at the end of every season, right? So June and July, because the spring is over, Tamaz dies. So everybody's supposed to weep. The women at, with Ishkar are supposed to weep his, the loss of him. And then in the spring, when, when he comes back, they're supposed to rejoice, right? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But, but I think the bigger picture of what he's saying here is that the idolatry has gone so far that even the women, I'm sorry, women, even the women, are idolatrous, right? And the women were supposed to be something special, right? They were supposed to be more set apart from society than, than today, right? They were supposed to be that nurturer, that one that was supposed to um, share with the children of who God is and start that culture and teach them the ways of the Lord, not the ways of Tomas. And it got so bad that um, during the Babylonian captivity, Actually, Tamaz is on their calendar now. That's a, that's a Jewish holiday. I mean, that's a Jewish um, month of the year. So that shows you just how integrated the idolatry became for them and for the society that they even, because of the celebration, um, decided to have it as one of their, their uh, months. It's crazy. Yeah, oh, we're, we're not much better, I can't, can't, can't say. So that's the third thing. It even affected the, the women. The, um, let's see, let's continue on 15 through 16 here. And he said to me, have you seen this? O son of man, turn again, you will see greater abominations than this. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were... 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their face towards the east. And they were worshiping the sun towards the east. And just as we read just a little bit earlier, that we, we weren't, they weren't supposed to worship the heavenly bodies, right? And just as I was telling you, so at the east gate, right, it's going in as the temple. So they're just going into the actual uh, temple of the Lord. So the Lord... The, the uh, tabernacle, like the inner, is behind them. And there's 24 priests, and there's a 25th, so the high priest is there, and they're facing the east and the rising sun. And what are they doing? They're worshiping, right? So, and I think this is the final thing that really um, the Lord is showing Ezekiel, is that it's even affected the priests. So we first see the king, and then with second, we see the elders, the ladies of Jerusalem, or the Israelites. And then the fourth and final is the priests. So it's affected every area of their society and just who they are as people, right? They themselves, the priests in the Lord's temple, are worshiping the sun god. Let's finish this chapter here, verse 17 to the end. 
And he said to me, you have seen this, O son of man. This is, is this a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence and they have returned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they have put a branch in their nose. Actually, we'll stop there. We'll save the last verse. So this branch in the nose, I did a lot of research. This is the only time in the whole Old Testament where this terminology is used. Um, there's n- nobody knows really what this expression means, but obviously it's a derogatory statement towards the Israelites from God. And I think it is how I read into it is if we go back to um, Leviticus 1, just to kind of give the little bit of background. Oh, goodness. Leviticus 1 9. And it says, and he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice and the offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So as I was reading, I think this is what God entailed for the temple, right? It was supposed to, everything that happened in there was supposed to be a sweet aroma to God, right? The worship was supposed to be a sweet aroma. The prayers were supposed to be a sweet aroma. The fellowship, the education was supposed to be a sweet aroma. And then it gets to the sacrifices so they could be cleansed and made whole, right? God created that whole process so they could stand before him pure, right? That was all supposed to be a sweet aroma. Not only the incense and just the priest coming before God and asking forgiveness for the people and for himself, right? That was all supposed to bless the Lord. And then, if you remember in there, the the Ashdod is that big piece of wood, right? It's a huge, like 20-something foot thing, and they mount it on there, and that's wood. So I don't know if it's a... There's some thoughts of a piece of that and... Covering the nose is a sweet, you know, the covering that sweet aroma, but I'm not exactly sure what that means. But just to kind of give you an idea, I think it has something to do with the the worship of Ashdod and the lack of what uh, God intended for the temple. If that makes any sense, I hope so. Um, and then the last verse, it says in verse 18, therefore, I also will act in fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry, my ears will not, uh, though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. It's a sad, sad finish, right? And I'm sorry to end on something so negative, but there is more. So this is the first of four chapters of this vision. There is a lot more to this. Um, But that's a sad thing, right? When you think about it, is that what you want the Lord to hear from when he's speaking to you or about you? That he wants to close his ears and his eyes will stay on you only in anger for wrath and, and vengeance to what you have done against him, right? I think that's the last thing that I would ever want to hear. But if we go full circle, remember Ezekiel is, is sitting before the elders of Judah that are there in Babylon. 
And I think it's interesting. In Ezekiel 33, 31, it says, and they came to you as people do. They sit before you as my people. They hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth, they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. And this is what the Lord showed Ezekiel that all the people of Israel were doing, all the people of Judah, I'm sorry. And I think causing caution to those who are sitting before him, right? Who he's telling this to, because are they really there? Or are they just giving, being that, that, um, that, I forget the expression, but they just, uh, oh man, just left me. Sorry. Um, they're just giving that, that, ver- that verbal love to him, right? That's not what God wants. Just like what we, I was talking to you about with our hearts, right? God really wants us to, just, if we have those walls, he wants to sit down with us, just as he did with Ezekiel, showing them um, what the elders truly were inside. God wants us to give over our carbon in- images. We, we don't have carbon in- images like they do, but we actually still do. We worship other things, right? Don't we? Yeah. That new car or a job or money or whatever it is, or this, that little sin that you enjoy because you worked so hard this week and you get a chance to put your feet up and enjoy that little, that little sin, whatever it is. I don't know what it is for each of us. It's something different, but the Lord wants to go through and break that wall down and go through it with us, right? He wants to take that from us and he wants to wear that for us. He doesn't want us to have to bear that burden. And that's what he's showing them there too. I think as I was going through this, um, I think Ephesians 5, 25, 27 kind of sum up the whole thing for me in my mind. And it starts with husbands, love your wives, which really isn't the point, but husbands, please do love your wives. Um, But as it goes on, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to her, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. And that's really what the Lord wanted for them, right? That's what he created initially for them when he brought them into the promised land and he created the capital of Jerusalem and told them to put the temple there, right? He wanted that perfection for them. He wanted to be without spot or blemish, just like he wants for us. He wants us to be without spot or blemish, but we have to be willing to take it, right? We, we can't just say, oh yes, I, I know of God, right? He wants that personal relationship, just as I was showing with um, the, the uh, elders. God was trying to have that personal relationship, but he wants that same personal relationship with us. And I think the psalmist said it great in how we should be interacting with the Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And that's my prayer for us tonight. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, I thank you for the chance to communicate your word, Lord. I pray that you would truly search us, Lord. Know us. Know our, our inner workings, Lord. Pray that you would... Um, be able to take away those things that separate us from you. Lord, we know that you 
Can't be in the place of sin and evil, Lord. Can't be in the same place, Lord. I pray that each and every one of us would want to remove that, that sin or that, that evil that we are holding on to so desperately, Lord, and we'd be able to replace it with you. Lord, I pray that we would truly live that desire out on a daily basis and evaluate our lives and the whys behind why we do things, Lord. I thank you for leaving these uh, visions of these, that you gave Ezekiel to us to learn just a little bit more about your character and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.